this working. There we go. Uh, welcome, everyone. It's Sunday. And I could find no better day as to be extremely controversial. I think it's quite important that we get controversial and have these difficult conversations. Ugh, and I've been saying about <laughs> that we need these difficult conversations for years. And I think it's about time that I become extremely controversial just to demonstrate the tribalism. And we'll get into that. Now, I played the song, The Phantom of the Opera, which many people know as some work of art or because it has, you know, all this. But the background of this story is about the redeeming qualities that love has. Love redeems it all. And I thought I'd be super controversial, very controversial today. A lot of people are going to be ah, probably very upset at the things that I want to talk about. And the idea of having a show today was um, I was taking my lawyer to the airport. And obviously, the Cleveland Browns were having a game. So downtown was congested with human traffic. And I saw so many people just walking around and, you know, wearing their Cleveland Brown gear, girls, boys, women, men, children, elderly, you name it, they were out there. And a lot of them were there for the experience. You know, I saw a guy as I was at a stoplight, obviously, because there was so much human traffic, the police were actually directing. So I was at a human stoplight, which was a police officer. And um, I saw a guy going to one of these pop-up stands to buy t-shirts. And I thought, wow. So he paid whatever he did for his tickets. So he's definitely going to spend about 100 to $150 today, buy some beer, some hot dogs that are overpriced. And he's getting a knockoff t-shirt from this pop-up what makes him so devoted to need to go physically into the stadium and spend all this money? And and you can tell that he was struggling uh, because as he was standing there, like I was right there for a good, you know, five to six minutes. And that's a long time if you stand at a stoplight. Those of you that drive understand. And, um, you know, he got on his app, looked at his bank account, and then you know, picked which card he's going to have. He goes, oh, no, no, that not that one. Logs back on. And I'm thinking, all right, so this guy obviously can't afford to go in person. What would make him, um, you know, just spend all his hard-earned money to go see a football game he can watch on TV for free? And if not on TV, on the internet, I mean, he has a phone, right? He obviously connects to the internet. So why would he have to feel the need to empty his pockets to that point? And that kind of resonated with yesterday too. It was the first time I went to a rally for the president without my press hat on. It was more observant and more trying to enjoy it. I can say the most fun I had that was closest to not having my, you know, journalist hat on or paying attention hat on was when I went to a rally in Fargo with Phoebe. She 
we were in the VIP section, you know, she was right up front. She, it was just an amazing energy, you know, to experience that in 2018. Uh, but now in 2022, it was so, I felt so bad for President Trump. I can't even begin to tell you how bad I felt for him and how he grinned and bared it. You know, Ohio is a state that he won, right? Obviously, he won because that wasn't one of the states that they selected to diddle with, right? Blatantly. Uh, how do I articulate this, this, this feeling? All of the people there felt like they were like little critters, alligators, roaches. Not the people, excuse my French, but the actual people that were seeking his endorsement. It was packed with politicians that talk so much smack about the president yet they nip at his feet and it is and it is ankles to get an endorsement. JD Vance was begging him to endorse all these other republicans that turned up. You know like the Supreme Court justices, the Secretary of State, like he asked him, right? And I guess this is why he came out and said, I don't know why people keep saying JD doesn't want my endorsement. He was begging me, right? He said it. And that's because they were nagging him in the back to, to, to endorse people he didn't want to endorse, right? And he was surrounded with people that hated him and hated the crowd, right? Because I sat there and there were two politicians, one that he endorsed and one that he didn't. Who you could, the one said to another, damn, his following is a cult. To see that mouth from people that are elected made my stomach turn. But it also validated exactly what we're seeing and what we feel and what we observe. Another thing, I don't understand why Marjorie Taylor Greene was there. I really don't. I extremely do not understand that. She should be in her state. She should be doing her thing. I'm not understanding, you know, why she was there talking. Did they not have speakers? Nobody cares. Nobody came to listen to anybody else, but the president and whoever is asking for a vote, but it wasn't that right. Marjorie, Taylor Green was up there. She said some great things, great talking points. But then she like did a whole round to get around the area, like waving like a debutante. I was very confused. I was extremely confused. Very confused. I wasn't understanding what was going on. You know, and obviously when I was live streaming, you guys heard me say, I'm going to give her some privacy because she was given notes on what she's going to say, what she's going to read. And that's the back the background that people don't see. I would have wanted to see a lot of people speak from the heart, but unfortunately, you guys, there aren't any politicians that can speak without being told what to say. 
And that is because they are owned by those parties. Um, and they're created by those parties. You know how I showed you that video of the nonprofit the Democrat has, the Democrat party has, right? Where they hire people and cast them like casting directors to play a role. And they're like, yo, it doesn't matter if they don't know the job. Uh, we will have, um, people around them that will help them do their job, right? Remember that where it's like run for something, right? The casting thing. Well, the Republican party is worse. They take family members or people that have been groomed into those positions and they're handled very, very well every step of the way. I know one person that the president endorsed, I have a problem with because of the wife, right? And I guess it was because maybe when I met the wife the first time, she was wearing a jacket with shoulder pads. She was trying to emulate Nancy Reagan. That's how it felt. It was so false and such a facade that at first instance, I said, you know, this is my first interaction. And, you know, when I interact with people, I, I, I guess I'm very good at interacting with people. I mean, I was trained for that, right? I was trained in interrogations. I may not show it because, you know, my nonchalant attitude or not caring, you know, uh, sometimes may come off intimidating. And that's because I, nothing phases me. I mean, when you're EOL, you really don't care, right? But what was really weird was I felt so much pain there. And the people in the crowd were just there to see the president. Nobody else. They just wanted to see the man and hear the man speak. And that was it. They didn't care about anything else. And that was what was incredible. And this is something that they, you know, that, that, that all of them wish they could replicate. Now, obviously there were people, there are people throughout the nation for various personas or influencers that, you know, find it really exciting to just go up there and, oh, I need to take a picture and look at me. I pose with this person. People need to understand they also use a toilet. They also have hindrances. They also do the same thing you do. They're not special. They're not God, right? But I did see that a lot of people were, you know, kind of going around it was so sad because the tribalism was so there. So there's a, there's a, there's a thing about applauding someone who is walking with you and praising someone to elevate them to the position of God. And I'm not talking just, you know, I'm not trying to be mean, right? But I see this all the time. And I saw this with the football game. I saw this at the rally. It was completely different from, you know, uh, what, what I experienced. People were there. They were very flashy and wearing like super flashy um, outfits just so they could be seen running around. It was so tiring to see the gimmicky part rather than just listen to the president speak. Another thing is that, you know, the, there were four nuns sitting there. I think I caught them on one of my live streams and I asked them if they were okay with me streaming. And the first lady spoke with me and, and, and the second lady said, I'm praying for you. And then the third lady said, no video. And I said, okay, I, I think I live streamed that. They sat there. 
And all they were doing the whole time was they had a rosary in their hand for, you know, I couldn't stream it, but hopefully people saw it and they were praying. They were just quiet. There were four of them, four. And they were just so still too. It's not like they moved. They were very uh, poised. They were very structured. They were very focused on whatever they were doing. And that was one of the most incredible things I saw that day. Um, this, um, this still that they had. And in a way, I don't want to say creepy, <laughs> but the energy behind them was very eerie. So it was weird. So I guess the people that were behind them, I don't know. The crowd, uh, there was an energized crowd. There was a crowd simply just there, um, just to be there. There were paid people there too um, from campaigns, right? Uh, pushing, hey, wave this sign. I was actually quite, it was actually quite funny because um, even my opponent's uh, campaign team was asking people to wave LaRose signs and nobody would take it. And not only that, when I went out for a cigarette, people were talking about LaRose and saying, he's got to go. I mean, what do we do? If he's the only one there, we can't have a Democrat. We have to vote for him. And I was like, yeah, well, he didn't want me on the ballot, but I'm going to be on it. So, And, and they know that he's going to lose once I'm on the ballot. Nobody wants him. None of the Republicans want them on the ballot. They don't want DeWine either, but it's better than Nan. Right. And DeWine's not going to be there for a while. He's got a lot of legal troubles coming his way. He's going to be stepping down. It's going to be quite, quite a show. But for thinking that Ohio is a red state, the energy within there was all that they hated. Not, not the people. I'm talking about the politicians. They did not like President Trump at all. And it was very sad because, you know, hearing the campaign staffers talking about President Trump, too, in really uncalled for ways was disgusting, right? You're there representing the candidate that's begging him for an endorsement, and you're talking smack about the man. It was horrific that they would sit there and pander and look all thirsty, right? Because they need his endorsement because they know they need it to win because they know nobody wants them. Nobody wants them. I know a lot of people are saying write-in. I don't need to be a write-in. I'm on that ballot. And that's it. Come rain or shine. That's happening. I'm the type of person that's like, you know, I'll just keep on fighting. I had a conversation with someone I consider very special today who, by the way, conveyed to me how impressed they were. A lot of people were very impressed with what Florida did with their lawsuit. I expressed the other states' lawsuits, uh, pointing out all the other states that have filed TROs about the machines. Um, you know, Hawaii, I've been trying to get Tulsi Gabbard to jump in. She plays middle of the road very well. It would have been nice to see. But I want you to understand most of these people adhere to identities that we see. I don't. I'm going to keep going. No matter how many times they attack me, I'm going to keep going and I'll never stop. And like I told this dear friend of mine on the phone this morning, you know, I expressed to him some concerns that I have. And I said, you know, but at the end of the day, 
what's the point of having all this stuff if I have no country? What's the point of having security now when I won't have it later? I will never stop fighting for my nation and I am willingly doing it because right now the fate, eh, we would say of our nation, but of all nations, but of all nations depends on us. It is the most biblical time. And when I say biblical, I want to express something that I don't think people understand. While people are looking at scriptures, right, to um, articulate what they are feeling or thinking, do you think back then that all the people that partook in what happened during the time of Jesus or Enoch or whenever, or even for the Muslims and Muhammad, right? Do you think they knew that they were writing theological history, the history of God, right? The Bible, the Quran, the Torah. Do you think they knew while it was happening? Of course not. They did not know. And right now, I want you guys to understand when I say biblical, this quarter of a century is writing the next chapter in the gospel, in the Quran, in the Torah. I hope you understand that. Now, I want to share a video that um, was published yesterday by In God, also known as In Theos. Found it fascinating, and I want us to watch it together. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If we should deal falsely with our God in this work, cause him to withdraw his present help from us. We shall be made a story and a byword through the world. The only way to avoid this shipwreck, to provide for our posterity, is to follow the counsel of Micah, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. For in this end, we must be knit together as one man. We must entertain each other in brotherly affection. We must be willing to abridge our superfluities for the sake of others' necessities. We must uphold familiar commerce in all meekness, gentleness, patience, and liberality. We must rejoice in each other, making others' conditions our own. Rejoice together, mourn together, labor and suffer together, always having before our eyes our 
commission and community in the work. If we deal falsely with our God. A story and a byword. So shall we keep the spirit of the bond of peace? The Lord will be our God and delight to dwell among us that we may see much more of his wisdom, power, glory, and truth than we have formerly been acquainted with. We shall find that the God of Israel is among us when ten of us shall be able to withstand a thousand of our enemies when he shall make us a power and a glory that men shall say of succeeding plantations the Lord make it like that of new England. We must recall that we shall be as a city upon a hill the eyes of all people are upon us so that if we deal falsely with our God in this work we have undertaken and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us we shall be made a story and a byword through the world Therefore, let us choose life that we and our seed might live, for he is our hope and our prosperity. The fact is, what they called radical was really right. What they called dangerous was just desperately needed. And in all of that time, I won a nickname, the great communicator. But I never thought it was my style or the words I used that made a difference. It was the content. I wasn't a great communicator, but I communicated great things. And they didn't spring full bloom from my brow. They came from the heart of a great nation from our experience, our wisdom, and our belief in the principles that have guided us for two centuries. They called it the Reagan Revolution. Well, I'll accept that. But for me, it always seemed more like the great rediscovery, a rediscovery of our values and our common sense. The lesson of all this was, of course, that because we're a great nation, our challenges seem complex. It will always be this way. 
But as long as we remember our first principles and believe in ourselves, the future will always be ours. And something else we learned. Once you begin a great movement, there's no telling where it'll end. We meant to change a nation, and instead, we changed a world. When you've got to the point where you can celebrate the anniversaries of your 39th birthday, you can sit back sometimes, review your life, and see it flowing before you. For me, there was a fork in the river, and it was right in the middle of my life. I never meant to go into politics. It wasn't my intention when I was young. But I was raised to believe you had to pay your way for the blessings bestowed on you. I was happy with my career in the entertainment world, but I ultimately went into politics because I wanted to protect something precious. Ours was the first revolution in the history of mankind that truly reversed the course of government and with three little words, we the people. We the people tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. We the people are the driver. The government is the car. And we decide where it should go and by what route and how fast. Almost all the world's constitutions are documents in which governments tell the people what their privileges are. Our constitution is a document in which we the people tell the government what it is allowed to do. We the people are free. And I hope we have once again reminded people that man is not free unless government is limited. There's a clear cause and effect here that is as neat and predictable as a law of physics. As government expands, liberty contracts. Finally, there is a great tradition of warnings in presidential farewells. And I've got one that's been on my mind for some time. But oddly enough, it starts with one of the things I'm proudest of in the past eight years, the resurgence of national pride that I called the new patriotism. This national feeling is good, but it won't count for much, and it won't last unless it's grounded in thoughtfulness and knowledge. An informed patriotism is what we want. And are we doing a good enough job teaching our children what America is and what she represents in the long history of the world? Those of us who are over 35 or so years of age grew up in a different America. We were taught very directly what it means to be an American. And we absorbed almost in the air a love of country and an appreciation of its institutions. If you didn't get these things from your family, you got them from the neighborhood, from the father down the street who fought in Korea, or the family who lost someone at Anzio. Or you could get a sense of patriotism from school. And if all else failed, you could get a sense of patriotism from the popular culture. The movies celebrated democratic values and implicitly reinforced the idea that America was special. TV was like that, too, through the mid-60s. But now we're about to enter the 90s, and some things have changed. Younger parents aren't sure that an unambivalent appreciation of America is the right thing to teach modern children. And as for those who create the popular culture, well-grounded patriotism is no longer the style. Our spirit is back, but we haven't re-institutionalized it. We've got to do a better job of getting across that America is freedom. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. It's fragile. It needs production.
So we've got to teach history based not on what's in fashion, but what's important. Why the pilgrims came here, who Jimmy Doolittle was, and what those 30 seconds over Tokyo meant. You know, four years ago, on the 40th anniversary of D-Day, I read a letter from a young woman writing to her late father, who had fought on Omaha Beach. Her name was Lisa Zanata Hen, and she said, we will always remember, we will never forget what the boys of Normandy did. Well, let's help her keep her word. If we forget what we did, we won't know who we are. I'm warning of an eradication of that of the American memory that could result ultimately in an erosion of the American spirit. Let's start with some basics. More attention to American history and a greater emphasis on civic ritual. And let me offer lesson number one about America. All great change in America begins at the dinner table. So tomorrow night in the kitchen, I hope the talking begins. And children, if your parents haven't been teaching you what it means to be an American, let them know and nail them on it. That would be a very American thing to do. And that's about all I have to say tonight, except for one thing. The past few days when I've been at that window upstairs, I've thought a bit of the shining city upon a hill. The phrase comes from John Winthrop, who wrote it to describe the America he imagined. What he imagined was important because he was an early pilgrim, an early freedom man. He journeyed here on what today we'd call a little wooden boat. And like the other pilgrims, he was looking for a home that would be free. I've spoken of the shining city all my political life, but I don't know if I ever quite communicated what I saw when I said it. But in my mind, it was a tall, proud city built on rocks stronger than oceans, windswept, God-blessed, and teeming with people of all kinds, living in harmony and peace. A city with pre-ports that hummed with commerce and creativity. And if there had to be city walls, the walls had doors, and the doors were open to anyone with the will and the heart to get here. That's how I saw it and see it still. After 200 years, two centuries, she still stands strong and true on the granite ridge, and her glow is held steady no matter what storm. And she's still a beacon, still a magnet for all who must have freedom, for all the pilgrims from all the lost places who are hurtling through the darkness toward home. We've done our part, and as I walk off into the city streets, a final word to the men and women of the Reagan Revolution. My friends, we did it. We weren't just marking time. We made a difference. We made the city stronger. We made the city freer. And we left her in good hands. All in all, not bad. Not bad at all. And so, goodbye. God bless you. And God bless the United States of America. I never promote accounts. Hardly ever do. But this is one of the most inspirational videos I have seen. So... Uh, you can find this account on Rumble and on Truth Social. Allow me to show you since I can. They're on Truth Social right here. The president just posted something as I went live. I want us to listen to it. We are a nation in decline. 
We are a failing nation. We are a nation that has the highest inflation in 50 years and where the stock market finished the worst first half of the year since 1872. Likewise, we are a nation that has the highest energy costs in its history. We are no longer energy independent or energy dominant as we were just two short years ago. We are a nation that is begging Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, and many others for oil. Please, please, please help us, Joe Biden says. Yet we have more liquid gold right under our feet than any other country. We are a nation that is consumed by the radical left's Green New Deal. Yet everyone knows that the Green New Deal will lead to our destruction. We are a nation whose leaders are demanding all electric cars even though they can't go far, cost too much, and whose batteries are produced in China with materials only available in China, when unlimited amounts of gasoline is available inexpensively in the United States, but it's not available in China. We are a nation that ended oil exploration and production in the United States, just as the price of oil reached an all-time high we are a nation that surrendered in Afghanistan, leaving behind dead soldiers, American citizens, and $85 billion worth of the finest military equipment in the world. We are a nation that allowed Russia to devastate a country, Ukraine, killing hundreds of thousands of people, and it will only get worse. It would never have happened with me as your commander-in-chief and for four long years, it didn't happen. And China, with Taiwan, is next. We are a nation that has weaponized its law enforcement against the opposing political party like never, ever before. We've got a federal bureau of investigation that won't allow bad election-changing facts to be presented to the public where Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation when they knew it wasn't, and a Department of Justice that refuses to investigate egregious acts of voting irregularities and fraud. And we have a president who is cognitively impaired and in no condition to lead our country, which may end up in World War III. We are a nation that no longer has a free press and has no fair press any longer. Fake news is all you get, and they are truly the enemy of the people. We are a nation where free speech is no longer allowed, where crime is rampant like never before, where the economy has been collapsing, where more people died of COVID in 2021 than in 2020. We are a nation that is allowing Iran to build a massive nuclear weapon and China to use the trillions of dollars it has taken from us to build a military to rival our own. And just two years ago, we had Iran, China, Russia, North Korea, and all of the rest in check. They weren't going to do a thing against us. 
and everyone knows it. They respected the United States and they respected America. And perhaps most importantly, we are a nation that is no longer respected or listened to around the world. We are a nation that in many ways has become a joke. And we are a nation that is hostile to liberty, freedom, and faith. We are a nation whose economy is floundering, whose stores are not stocked, whose deliveries are not coming, and whose educational system is ranked at the bottom of every single list. We are a nation whose once revered airports are dirty and crowded and a mess, where you sit and wait for hours and then are notified that the plane won't leave and they have no idea when it will. A nation where ticket prices are through the roof, they don't have the pilots to fly the planes, they don't want or seek qualified air traffic controllers, and they don't know what they are doing. We are a nation that has lost its confidence, willpower, and strength. We are a nation that has lost its way. But we are not going to let this continue. Two years ago, we were a great nation, and we will soon be a great nation again. It was hardworking patriots like you who built this country, and it is hardworking patriots like you who are going to save our country. We will stand up to the radical left lunatics and rhinos, and we will fight for America like no one has ever fought before. There is no mountain we cannot climb. There is no summit we cannot reach. There is no challenge we cannot meet. There is no victory we cannot have. We will not bend. We will not break. We will not yield. We will never give in. We will never give up. We will never, ever, ever, ever back down. As long as we are confident and united, the tyrants we are fighting do not stand even a small chance of victory. Because we are Americans, and Americans kneel to God and to God alone. My fellow citizens, this incredible journey we're on together has only just begun, and it is time to start talking about greatness for our country again. We are one movement, one people, one family, and one glorious American nation. So with the help of everyone here today and citizens all across our land, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. Thank you, Ohio. God bless you. Thank you, Ohio. Thank you.
that speech was at the end of the rally. That was an incredible speech that everyone was like, oh, did he just say the same thing again and again? This was almost like a eulogy for the nation. And I think I need to be extremely controversial today and revisit the statements that I have made to you over the years about changing definitions and about those that are in power, in power over the people, the kings, the queens, the prime ministers, the ministers, the secretaries, the presidents, the vice presidents, the senators, the congresspersons, the council members, the mayors, the governors, you name it. They have power over the people. And as Reagan had put it so eloquently, as the power of the government expands, freedom and liberty is confined, it constricts. This is where we're at. But it's not just now. It has been like that for a long time. They have been putting us in boxes and making us fight each other so that we're busy fighting each other rather than realizing what their end game was. I see it in my groups. I see it when people have discussions. I see it in the churches. I see it in the mosques. I see it in the temples. I see it on the street. Religion, the most. Religion and politics are the most controversial subjects. Why? I don't do politics. Then you don't do life. You are simply a slave to whoever dominates you. Oh, it's like this, the blood of Jesus. Oh, it's Allah. Oh, it's, you know, uh, whatever, right? It's Buddha, whatever. Cleveland Browns, New York or New Jersey Jets. I mean, they just flip-flop on the States, right? You know, this is where we're at. Tribalism. Tribalism. Humans are tribal creatures. When created, they weren't designated to reason dispassionately about the world, but rather they're actually designed to reason in ways to promote the interests of their coalition and, of course, themselves. It wouldn't be, right, it would be surprising if there was a group of individuals that did not display such tendencies, right? That's what we're doing. I don't think you guys have realized that. That, that, those are my orders dialed in as an outside operator. See, in the U.S. political sphere and realm, liberals and conservatives are very polarized and they are substantially biased and to similar degrees. While you mock the left, the left mocks you on the right. Throughout history, and even now in modern history and society, tribal biases are very useful for group cohesion, but also for moral and immoral purposes. The liberal bias is in favor of disadvantaged groups 
that might help increase equality, whereas the conservative, you know, uh, favor uh, capitalism, which will also increase equality. It's worth us mentioning that there is bias toward viewing one's own tribe in a favorable light. It's not, that's not something irrational. Okay. That's normal that people think that their shit doesn't stink. Right. If your goals are admired by your tribe, then you support their agenda and promote their goals and people, even if that means promoting erroneous beliefs. And that is one of the most reasonable strategies for tribalism and polarization. The incentives of holding up an accurate opinion about global climate change or COVID, for example, is may not be worth the social rejection and loss of status that could accompany challenging the views of one's political in-group or influencer group. Cancel culture, my friends, is a tool of the right. Cancel culture, my friends, is a rule of the ruling parties. It began with religion. That's how they started canceling people. And so we're going to have a very good conversation on this. Very good. We radicalize people and label them. The incentives for holding these accurate opinions. Huh? Is that a sacrifice of your soul? However, the biases that people have decreased the likelihood of any consensus across political divides. You know, I was thinking this morning when I was reading scripture. Today, scripture had the readings from 2 Corinthians um, one twenty one through 2.4, where it's like Timothy and Paul. Paul is trying to support his reputation and his integrity and in writing this letter. Uh, you know, to the to to the church of God in Corinth, right? And you know what it reminded me of? Judgment. And why did that come to mind? As I was reading it, leaving my car in the basement and going up the elevator, I stumble upon two neighbors, a female, and I don't want to misgender if you get my drift. And so they they looked elated. They looked happy. And uh, they are everything the right media tells us to hate. The person that I don't want to misgender had these cute earrings on. They were very cute. They felt confident. They felt like they loved themselves. They were happy. And they had this bag probably of goodies that they were planning to do. And I was thinking to myself, wow, the people I run in circles with, the majority of them are telling me to denounce people like this because of their ideologies or their lifestyles. And I love those earrings. And those people I loved even more 
because they had this feeling of so much oozing of love and elateness between each other. I was like, why can't we have this every day amongst ourselves? Why can't we just love? And so I thought, maybe we need a lesson on cancel culture. And cancel culture is the biggest one on the right. They will boycott you. They will silence you if you do not approve of their message. If you do not retweet them, like them, venerate them, uphold them, hold them on a pedestal, they will dismiss you. There are people out there on social media that want to say something and don't because they will be canceled. And I'm talking about all the damn stupid and on things. I was having a conversation with very important people yesterday and a few not so important, who cares, right? And and when I say important, they were all important to me. It's how these clicks see it. And there's this one person that I've, I was like, you know, I've been trying to get their attention, but they're so busy retweeting bullshit, getting all gassed up in their head. Oh, I'm so popular. Look at me. I'm on this podcast and I'm talking and I'm doing. And it's like, dude, I've got data that I need help with. And the one person has, my friends have been rolled up by the FBI. All right. And they're the people that can actually help me parse this through. I need you to help me so that I can help people that are going through trial. I have this data set and I don't have the ability to parse it through. So since you toot yourself as being so amazing, Greg, why can't I get in contact with you to get this done? Why? Because it's bullshit. It's tribalism at its finest. So I thought I would show someone talking about, you know, the psychology behind cancel culture. And the reason I say this is first we're going to see, first we're going to see something that I have been telling you all along. See, throughout history, when they wanted to control people, they used things that would cause tribalism. It would either be food or God. Of course, God, because they feared earthquakes and blacking out of suns because apparently they didn't know what it was, whatever. They had toilet systems that would flush in 4,000 BC, but we're all dumb. So let's just pretend because the history books tell us that they were all dumb and living in caves, right? Even though they had aqueducts and running freaking toilets, 4,000 BC, let's just pretend that that's true. Let's pretend they didn't know how to do surgery. Let's pretend they didn't invent tetracycline in ancient Egypt and we found it out in the 90s. Let's all pretend that the books are correct. Well, then what tells you that your religious books are correct? Like every single aspect of them. They've been edited carefully and they have created a pitting of division. And I'll show you this. So, you know how people are like, oh, they're going to make Chrislam, right? What, what do you guys, you know what, actually, let me look at the chat before I put it on. I want to know what you guys know about Islam, aside from what you hear about, you know, Muhammad having a young wife, being a pedophile and all that, right? I want to know what you know, right? What you know about Islam. I'm just waiting for that chat because it takes a while to go through. So I'm going to tell you something that I realized when I was a kid because um, Grant told me yesterday at dinner, I had dinner with a bunch of people from Virginia and they were Pennsylvania and we had people from our Indiana group. And then, the okay, I'm going to tell you the Virginia group told me something. I am so irritated and I am so disappointed in someone that says that they have principles. I am so pissed right now. I don't even want to relate to that. But he said to me at dinner, 
one thing that I want to do is go to the Holy Land. And I said to him, the time that I remember it the most was when I went as a child first. And the reason is, is because I sat down and I spoke with um, religious scholars. I speak with priests and bishops and um, imams from all denominations. Now, Muhammad, we have in our Bible too, right? But did you know that they, that one of the most, one of the most repeated names in the Quran is Jesus? Did you guys know that? Did you know that Jesus is one of the most repeated names? Now, let's just clear something up. The word Allah, right? Because if you listen to Christian service in Arabic, God is called Allah. So Allah means God. So don't get the words twisted, right? That's number one. Allah equals God. That's what the word is. That's the definition. That's a translation. It's not like a name for God. Jesus is one of the most mentioned figures in the Quran, right? And I found this exceptional video that I want to show, uh, share with you. But I want you to know, everyone says, you know, oh, it's blasphemy. And, you know, some people tell you the Quran is, is, is Satan's work. Do you know what the first words are? You know what? Actually, I'm going to let this Orthodox Christian scholar actually do it for you. But I just want you to know that Jesus in the Bible, right, is mentioned the most as Isa, right? And the third person, he's mentioned about 48 times. Um, the third person, first person, it's like 35, 36 times. He's constantly being, you know, mentioned. In fact, if you read the Surah 29 to 30, it says that Jesus spoke as a baby, saying that he serves God and therefore he's speaking because of his message. So they portray Jesus as someone that was intelligent. Now, one of the one of the things about the Quran is is that we all have this idea the Torah you know the Jews the Muslims do you know what Muslim means just so you know what the word Muslim means Muslim means follower of God servant of God it doesn't mean anything else it means servant to God so when you say I serve God you're really if you translate that there's a word for it in Arabic and it's called Muslim now. I want to show you how tyrants and big leaders create division and weaponize this against each other. Because like I've said many, many times before, if huh, the Egyptians were by a lake, they wouldn't have a river God. They would have had a lake God. You see what I'm saying? It's called influence. So now here's a Christian who's reacting to a certain verse in the Surah Al-Madah, which is 109 through 120. Now. They say that whenever they hear it, they get emotional and they cry when they say prayer. I know that when reading the Bible, certain verses, and actually when I was reading portions of the Torah, I got really emotional because the words were really powerful. But in this one, this is a, these are verses where it has Jesus speaking to God. And uh, just so you know, one of the biggest differences between the Christian faith, and there's so many denominations, so they change it. Others think Jesus is God himself. Others are like, he's the son. Others are, he's a prophet, right? There's so many denominations in Christianity. There's like a ton, right? 
But the main difference between these two religions, just so you know, is the fact that Christians believe that he died because they acknowledge death on this earth, whereas Muslims say he didn't. So our God is an awesome God. Now, I want you to hear this. This is a Christian Orthodox guy reacting to the conversation between Jesus and Allah, which is one of the most um, emotional recitations. So you're going to hear it in Arabic. It's going to have the translations on the screen, but then you're going to hear him analyze it. And I'm going to sit through this with you. Um, It's quite fascinating. And for those of you that think, oh, this talks about Allah, Allah is the word for God. You can watch Christian services online, Christian, either that be Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant, whatever, online in Arabic, and you will hear the word Allah. You will not hear God, you will hear Allah, because that's what the word is. So I want you to just listen. Listen to how they use what, what every one of us believes in, what answers to our heart against us, and they create this division. I just want you to listen to it with open ears and an open heart. This is a conversation between Jesus and God. All right, guys, welcome back to the channel. If you're new, my name is Bobby. Guys, since I started reaction videos, you guys kept on asking me to react to the conversation between Jesus and Allah, Surah Al-Maida. The reason why I postponed it for so long is that reacting to surahs of the Quran is very, very different to my usual reaction format. Because if I react to regular videos, I stop them and give you my real-time reaction. However, with surahs of the Quran, I've been told that it would be disrespectful to stop the video. You have to listen to the whole surah at once. This is why we're going to watch the whole video. I think it's roughly seven. Okay, so I'm going to stop right here. I saw someone comment, Allah is a word for another God, not the true God. How do you know who the true God is? And no one said that their God is true or yours is true or mine is true. There is one God, one creator. And the word for God in another language is Theos in Greek. So are you going to say that Theos is another word for another God? No, it means God in Greek. Allah means God in Arabic. So I want us to just strip away, strip away your language. Because if you spoke you know, Greek, you'd say Theos. And if you spoke Arabic, you'd say Allah. I want to make that clear because, you know, people, you know, say things because it challenges the, the, the notion of this tribalism they have. I want you to listen. There's one true God and I want you to listen. And these are words. So I call my God Theo. Does that mean that it's another God? No, I'm just saying it in Greek. I want you to listen and learn to have open ears because if the Egyptians were by a lake, they would have a lake God, not a river God. Spice, the spices you choose in your food are because those are around your environment and they make sense to you. Do not judge another because one of the most, most for those Christians out there that are sitting there, the blood of Jesus and God, Allah is another God. Remember Matthew 7, do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured. You know, that was when people were like, hey, 
you know, look at what I did. Why don't you, you know, look, I did this in your name, God. I did this in your name, Jesus. Why don't you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in yours? That is one of the most terrifying verses. And everyone should fear that. Everyone should fear that. All right. Let's go. Minutes long. And then after that, I'm going to give you my reaction. Let's have a look. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم يوم يجمع الله الرسل فيقول ماذا أجبتم قالوا لا علم لنا إنك أنت علام الغيوب يوم يجمع الله الرسل فيقول ماذا أجبتم قالوا لا علم لنا إنك أنت علام الغيوب إذ قال الله يا عيسى ابن مريم اذكر نعمتي عليك وعلى والدتك إذ أيتك إذ أيتك بروح القدس تكلم الناس في المهد وكهلا وإذ علمتك الكتاب والحكمة والتوراة والإنجيل وإذ تخلق من الطين كهيئة الطير بإذني فتنفخ فيها فتكون طيرا بإذني وتبرئ الأكمه والأبرص بإذني وإذ تخرج الموتى بإذني وإذ كففت بني إسرائيل عنك إذ جئتهم بالبينات فقال الذين كفروا منهم إن هذا إلا سحر مبين وإذ أوحيت إلى الحوارين أن آمنوا بي وبرسولي قالوا آمنا واشهد بأننا مسلمون إذ قال الحواريون يا عيسى ابن مريم إذ قال الحواريون يا عيسى ابن مريم هل يستطيع ربك هل يستطيع ربك أن ينزل علينا مائدة من السماء قال اتقوا الله إن كنتم مؤمنين قالوا نريد أن نأكل منها وتطمئن قلوبنا ونعلم أن قد صدقتنا ونكون عليها من الشاهدين قال عيسى بن مريم اللهم ربنا اللهم ربنا أنزل علينا مائدة من السماء تكون تكون لنا عيدا لأولنا وآخرنا وآية منك وارزقنا وأنت خير الرازقين قال الله
قال الله إني منزلها عليكم فمن يكفر بعد منكم فإني أعذبه عذابا فإني أعذبه عذابا فإني أعذبه عذابا لا أعذبه أحدا من العالمين وإذ قال الله يا عيسى ابن مريم أأنت قلت للناس يا عيسى ابن مريم أأنت قلت للناس اتخذوني وأمي إلهين من دون الله قال سبحانك قال سبحانك ما يكون لي ما يكون لي أن أقول ما ليس لي بحق إن كنت قلته فقد علمته تعلم ما في نفسي ولا أعلم ما في نفسي إنك أنت علام الغيوب ما قلت لهم إلا ما أمرتني به أن اعبدوا الله ربي وربكم وكنت عليهم شهيدا ما دمت فيهم فلما توفيتني كنت أنت الرقيب علي وأنت على كل شيء شهيد إن تعذبهم إن تعذبهم فإنهم عبادك إن تعذبهم فإنهم عبادك إن تعذبهم فإنهم عبادك وإن تغفر لهم فإنك أنت العزيز الحكيم قال الله هذا يوم ينفع الصادقين صدقهم يوم ينفع الصادقين صدقهم لهم جنات تجري من تحتها الأنهار خالدين فيها أبدا رضي الله عنهم ورضوا عنه ذلك الفوز العظيم لله ملك السماوات والأرض وما فيهم وهو على كل شيء قدير
All right, guys. And this was the Quran recitation. I do remember this specific recitation. I remember when the reciter started. So I just want to say, just so you understand, the verses that were being sung, spoken, that we see happening in religions like Orthodox Jews and Christians and other Christian denominations, I believe, they sing in a specific frequency. And the reader, just like the readers of the Torah, they become the word, if that makes sense. And this is why he's over-emotional, because this was Jesus pleading to God to forgive the people. Because for one thing that is evident to all of us is that all of us seek leadership. We seek a deity to save us. We seek a Gandalf to come and rip us out. And this is what you hear blasted all the time. Not to say that Islam is the religion that everyone must follow. I am trying to point out the the lies and the dispelling, and he does it so eloquently. So it's not me. This guy's an Orthodox Christian, and he does, you know, reaction videos on YouTube. And this is them reciting from their book, the Quran, a conversation between God and Jesus. Okay. So I want you guys to listen to what this guy breaks down. God is crying out. I believe it was the video about the miracles in the Quran and that the Quran, when recited, can make people cry. So I do remember a scene catching a glimpse of the surah, but I haven't heard the whole surah yet. But on another note, I guess I passed the challenge of not crying. I'm not saying this to sound tough or anything, but it simply doesn't have that effect on me. If you have any other surahs where you are convinced that they will make me cry, please post them in the comment section below and I will definitely react to them. But that being said, if I read the Quran or I listen to the Quran, for me, it's all positive. It's an informative book. It is a clarification for me personally, and I simply don't get emotional listening to it. Anyways, that being said, the surah started with, I seek refuge in Allah from the outcast shaitan. And this is a very, very powerful passage that was right there in the beginning of the Quran when I started reading it. And remember, I started reading the Quran back in the day to find the devil. And then the book starts with, I seek refuge in Allah from the outcast shaitan. So how can this be the devil's book? So it continues, be warned of the day when Allah will assemble the messengers and say, what was the response you received? So the response. To I just wanted to clarify, you heard what he said. Everyone says that this is the book of Satan. This is what they tell you. But the first words in it, that they seek refuge in God from the outcast Satan. I'm pointing this out to you. This is where it begins, right? So anyone that has told you, oh, this is Satan's book, it begins with, I seek refuge in God for Satan, the outcast Satan, which is Satan. Now, it, it, the Jews also have their own Satan, right? So no one's knocking the Torah, but everyone knocks this. We need to pay attention to how everyone is on a journey trying to find God and what they think. It agrees with them, their culture, their spice profile, <laughs> their their geography, right? So again, 
anyone telling you that the Quran is written for Satan, that's weird because that's the first sentence. He says it too. I read the book because I wanted to find Satan. And here, and this is an Orthodox Christian, by the way. Here's his channel. It's um Bobby's perspective. Um, and you know, he does some pretty cool uh, videos. Um, you know, it's 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 quite thought provoking, and he's so solid in his faith that he is confident enough to have it challenged. And that's what we should all do personally within ourselves, rather than look at what society tells us to think or what our priests or our moms or our dads or our kids or our job or the media. We should be looking into ourselves where no one is looking. Ask yourself inside. Keep the boundaries of your fingers and your legs as the outside world and focus on your inside and ask yourself, God knows me. He's the knower of everything, isn't he? He can see in the dark places. He saw in the dark womb of your, in your mom's dark womb and created you. He knows everything. So maybe it's time you start knowing yourself and asking yourself, what is my purpose? What makes me happy? We'll get into that because this is the tribalism is a problem that we're dealing with. And this is why our country is tanking. So I think this was one of the most controversial conversations we can have with a bit of education. Be the devil's book. So it continues. Be warned of the day when Allah will assemble the messengers and say, what was the response you received? So the response to the message of God being one, I assume. But all the messengers will say, we have no knowledge. Indeed, it is you who is knower of the unseen. So yet again, the Quran here gives all the praise to God. It shows clearly who God is because he is the knower of the unseen and the prophets themselves could not know. It reminds me yet again of Jesus saying, nobody but the Father, in this case, God knows. The day when Allah will say, O oh Jesus, son of Mary, remember my favor upon you and upon your mother. When I supported you with the pure spirit and you spoke to the people in the cradle and in maturity. So yet again, you see the focus shifting to God because it was not Jesus that made himself speak in the cradle, but it was, of course, the gifts, the blessings of God in this case. And remember when I taught you writing and wisdom and the Torah and the gospel. So this is true. Jesus was educated from a very, very young age in the Torah and the gospel, the Injil that he brought according to Islam. And yet again, the glory is, of course, given to God that gave him this wisdom. And when you designed from clay what was like the form of a bird with my permission. Then you breathed into it and it became a bird with my permission. And you healed the blind and the leper with my permissions. And when you brought forth the dead with my permissions. So yet again, as you can see, all of those powers that Jesus possessed, he only had through the permission of God himself. God, the creator of all, and he, of course, decides who gets what? And when I restrained the children of Israel from killing you, when you came to them with clear proofs. And this, of course, stands in direct contradiction to Christianity. This is the biggest conflict between Christians and Muslims because Muslims believe that Jesus was saved by God. He wasn't sacrificed by God. And those who disbelieved among them said, this is not but obvious magic. This is absolutely correct. Even some Jews to this very day 
will claim that Jesus was just a magician. And remember when I inspired to the disciples, believe in me and in my messenger, Jesus. They said, we have believed, so bear witness that indeed we are Muslims. And this is very interesting to me. This was extremely interesting to find out that Muslims essentially just means in submission to Allah. It simply means people that submitted their will to God, people that believe in the one creator, of the universe. And this is why Muslims nowadays will, of course, claim that Jesus and his disciples were Muslims by that definition. And remember when the disciples said, Oh, Jesus, son of Mary, can your Lord send down to us a table spread with food from the heaven? Jesus said, Fear Allah if you should be believers. They said, We wish to eat from it and let our hearts be reassured and know that you have been truthful to us and be among its witnesses. Said Jesus, the son of Mary, O Allah, our Lord, to be for us a festival for the first of us and the last of us, and a sign from you, and provide for us, and you are the best of providers. Allah said, Indeed, I will send it down to you. But whoever disbelieves afterwards from among you, then indeed will I punish him with the punishment anyone among the worlds. So I wanted to reinforce this. This is something that we see constantly reinforced in Bible scriptures, that if God gives you good, he gives you bounty, he gives you plentiful, right? And you have all of this, this good stuff, right? And you take it and then you denounce it, then he takes it away, right? And that sounds just like something we were taught through Jesus's teachings and the Bible. So it's really weird, uh, you know, how uh, this is kind of misconstrued in a very bizarre fashion um, in how it's done. It pretty much says that just in a more elaborate sense. I'll giveth, but I taketh. And beware the day when Allah will say, Oh, Jesus, son of Mary, did you say to the people, take me and my mother as deities besides Allah? He will say, exalted are you. It was not for me to say that to which I have no right. If I had said it, you would have known it. You know what is within myself and I do not know what is within yourself. Indeed, it is you who is knower of the unseen. I said not to them except what you commanded me to worship Allah, my Lord and your Lord. And this is absolutely biblically accurate as well. You can read it over and over again that Jesus calls his disciples to sin no more and believe in one God. And I was a witness over them as long as I was among them. But when you took me up, you were the observer over them. And you are over all things witness. If you should punish them, indeed they are your servants. But if you forgive them, indeed it is you who is the exalted in might, the wise. Allah will say, this is the day when the truthful will benefit from their truthfulness. For them are gardens in paradise beneath which rivers flow, wherein they will abide forever. Allah being pleased with them and they with him. That is the great attainment. To Allah belongs the dominion of the heavens and the earth and whatever is within them. And he is over all things competent. So this is essentially the red thread in the Quran. I said it before, it was absolutely beautiful to read every surah within the Quran. But I have to say that one surah 
is enough to get the memo because the memo is exalted is the Lord. To him belongs all praise. There is only one God. Everybody should worship that one God. And even the prophets do worship that one God. None of those prophets ever asked to be worshipped. And if we go further back and we look into Buddhism, I spoke about this prior as well. Never did Buddha claim that he should be worshipped. He was against idolatry. And now you go to Thailand, for example, and you see golden Buddha statues. And this is so common throughout human history. You will see that people will fall in love with the messenger. Even to this very day, I have to say a little critique here. Even with Muslims, some of them I see that Muhammad is so exalted But I say we always have to remember what the message is. And the message is, of course, the worship of one God. And we should only love God. All right, guys. This is it for today's video. I hope you enjoyed it. If so, leave the thumbs up. If you haven't subscribed already, guys, please do so. So, what is the message among all? We know this from the Bible, too. No, you know, you know, exalting deities. It's just God. And that's what's important. The message over the messengers, because we have, uh, you know, I, I find it odd sometimes when my family members venerate or exalt a saint more than they would, you know, uh, you know, pleading Jesus to um, talk to God for them. Right. Um, you know, Hey, Jesus, can you like, get a direct message to God because I need help. Um, there are very few times in my life that I will call um, the nunnery where I baptize Phoebe and I will say, I need you guys, all of you nuns to pray for this for me. I need more prayers and this is all you guys do at the monastery. So that's it. God is the almighty And as Jesus had said, he's the Holy Trinity. He has the spirit of God within him. He is the son of God. And, and, and that is because he created him. And if you look at all religions, they say the same. So the question then is, who cares how they verse it? Who, who cares how they do it? The bottom line is we believe in God. Done. And so that was one of the most you know, streamlined explanations because it's such a controversial topic like politics, right? That they, you know, make it so that if you don't say the right words, you are canceled, canceled, completely canceled. And cancel culture has been around for eons. You don't abide by the Caesar off with your head. How dare you speak negatively of the Caesar's army or the Pope or the queen or the king or I don't know, the GOP or the DNC or me who makes memes. It's no matter what level you put it on. The Pharisees, their problem was that he was claiming to be a son of God. Are we not all his children? Think about it. This is the problem we have, this tribalism, this 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 seed of evil to glorify one person over the main creator. Even Jesus himself said it. It is by the glory of God that I do everything. 
right? And this is so important that we understand this and, 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 and resonate. You know, this guy is so confident and, and it's very hard to find people that will allow people to come at them and challenge their faith. I know my faith. I say, I stay very solid and strong in it because there is one God and he is the most benevolent. <laughs> he is so forgiving. And even in that you know, verse that you guys heard, read, and, and saw, you know, he could punish them, but they're his servants. They, they, uh, they serve God, right? Well, why would you punish them? Wouldn't you be more exalted if you forgave them is, is, is what he's saying. I forgive them this way. They understand just how much love I have. And that's important. And this is the epitome of how they started putting us in pockets. They canceled people. That means you're not wanted. You need to be eradicated and nullified. You need to be eliminated from the equation and the conversation. This is what they did to Jesus. He was being called out for whatever reason they wanted because he conducted miracles that he said are of the father, his father. He said it. They boycotted his work by saying no one's allowed to have him in his temple and speak. You are not allowed to say this. I'm trying to show you the similarities, right? You cannot forgive people. Yeah, if you forgive them, you know, in your heart, then God will also show that forgiveness, right? So the question is, you know, what is all this cancel culture? Let's put it into perspective now with politics, which is almost to the level of, Religion. You can't talk politics or religion. And religion is personal. You can't sit there and say your God's wrong. Are you walking in their shoes? Do you know what they eat? Do you know what their family life is like? Do you know this? This is their cross to bear, their ways to find God. If you actually ask yourself, what is my purpose? You feel lost as shit. And this is how we feel as an, as a nation too. We have no idea what direction we're going into. We are just following along blindly. Like I was seeing people in the line and I was observing the people coming into the rally. Most of them were just there to see President Trump because he speaks words that they are either too scared, too ashamed, or not bold enough to stand because they've been canceled. Canceled. When, you know, we saw it with the Me Too movement, you know, when someone says or does something you don't like, cancel them, you know, like when you sit there and you're like, what are you, what are you offering? You know, I, I have people saying, oh, I'm a patriot. I do this. Uh, like example, personal example, because it's easier to speak from a perspective of personal example, right? I have people that are like, Tori's a grifter. Really? How the fuck are you fighting for your country right now? Right now in my state, I have an open lawsuit, federal lawsuit that isn't being adjudicated because of elections against the governor of my state that is still pending because of elections. What does that tell you? For the mask mandates and the vax mandates, what have you done, sir, sitting from your throne, selling your fucking vitamins? Thank you. I stood up for my kid for the mask mandates. What have they done that says that their patriots still pending? Because that'll rock the nation when that comes out. Why? Because in Ohio, we actually have the constitution that says that they have to abide by it, right? What have you done 
See, because when people say, oh God, in your name, I did this. And it's like, did I ask you to judge your brother and sister? Did I ask you to kill in my name? Did I ask you, this is the problem. Why can't we just love everyone the way he loves us? And then it's over. We may not agree on the way things should be executed within society. What is normal and what is not. We are being forced to submit and change our ways so everyone's happy. There is no everyone is happy. Right? There is no everyone is happy. We have to be true to what we say because the biggest hypocrites are the Bible thumpers. The ones that, oh, I'm, I'm of God and you're a heathen. Who says that? You're the first one that's going to be marching to hell right behind the priest that told you to say that, right? Because that's something he tells you not to. Clearly, explicitly says it. Not only there, but in the Quran. So their jihad, their war thing, totally added. I, I can almost guarantee it because this is the only way they keep us pitted against each other when, we're, when we have our heads up our butt and we don't know where we're going. Same thing with politics. Let's say, for example, politics, there's a baseball player and he doesn't like vaccines because his kid was injured or something, whatever. He just doesn't like it. And he says something like, you know, I don't agree with it. Suddenly, all these people are going to organize all these big organizations that are pushing vaccines. And mind you, not big organizations, the freaking government, because it was under Obama that they created a law that you can't sue for vaccine injury or pharmaceutical companies. Right. So he says it. So then the public eye starts to be starts to be a distant thing. You're no longer a baseball player. They will create such a bad reputation that that guy can never get hired because everything that they've created and manufactured so that he will be silenced and tainted. Right. Will be associated with them. So they just oust him. And you know what's funny that all of these people that are claiming to love their country including the Bible thumpers. They're okay conducting that sin of judging, of ostracizing, of silencing, and of boycotting, right? Because it's for the greater good. That kind of sounds like communism. Cancel culture does not stop. Cancel culture. They actually think they're a good guy because they're performing some great mass thing. I, I remember, who was it? One of these, you know, cutards on truth. They was like, well, I'm just helping you because she's a Christian. Oh, so this is what they do. They, 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 they pick hero, victim, or villain, right? So then if I'm the villain, then they're the victim. And because they're the victim or the people are the victim, they become the hero. So in essence, they think they're the good guy because they're performing some wokeness or, uh, you know, pointing out the, the, the sawdust in somebody's eye, but avoid the damn fucking tree in theirs. That's the way it is. And then they gain ground as victim or supporting victims to hero. And this is the problem we have. From religion to society as a whole. It's so easy to judge. And it's like, you know what? I actually sat down and made a list of the key influencers. I was reading that man in America thing where people were like, yeah, this person tells me. Nah, 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 nah. And it's like, no, that person tells you right wing propaganda. I made a list. I made a list. A list. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is a psyop on that end, too. And it's like, this is why President Trump, they're all, it's, it's, it's almost as if they're doing it on purpose to take the man down. The only man that represented the people, the only man that spoke for the people, both on the left and the right. 
You know, it's like Christians. I remember I was in DC and I was speaking to some Green Berets, some really great guys that were super Christian. They were like, I will crush the skulls of my enemy. And I was like, whoa, first commandment, thou shall not kill. Like, who are you? I don't like this. I don't like this. So if a threat to their country or their livelihood, they could do anything they want. They could commit a sin because they're a hero. As long as society perpetuates that dynamic, it makes us non-compassionate and we lose everything. There is zero compassion. I can tell you that when I started playing the, the Quran verses, which were almost aligning with everything the Bible says, aside from we don't have the conversation between Jesus and God because he went on a mountain and did it and nobody wrote it down in the gospel. But in the Quran, they wrote it down. That's the conversation he had. He's like, I'm so sorry they're exalting me. You know, I never said I am God. He never did. He said, I am the way. Follow me. I am the way. Just like I would tell you, you want political liberation? I'm the way. Be more like Tory. Give zero shits and stay basics to the foundation. I am the way through the Constitution. Right? There we go. How's that? I'm not a God, but I represent the Constitution because I speak the truth. I stick by it. I am solid to it. And that's the way it is. And so when I hear Christians saying, I will crush the skulls of my enemy, I'm like, nah, man. No. I remember how many times I was out in the field and they would always give us weapons to have. I carry a weapon with me. I, I'm going to tell you this. Anytime I have shot a weapon toward anybody, a human being, it was never with the intent to kill them. I will never kill someone dead in the eyes, dead in the heart, disable maybe so that I can stop them from causing harm. Even if it was my children, I wouldn't murder, right? I would shoot the crap out of their kneecaps right? That is what I would do. Because what are the 10 commandments? Thou shall not kill. That is the problem. We are making excuses for being tribalists. Correctness and tribalism, that's a narcissistic strategy. And the cancel culture engagement is what wokeness is. The right is worse than the left when it comes to cancel culture. At least they do it for political push, right? In our movement, they do it for clout. They don't do it for the nation. The conversation I had was a really tough conversation I had with someone this morning. And I was like, you know, I'm in this predicament. And I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. It's like when you're going to die, are you going to take your gold with you? I mean, what's the point of worrying about that if I have no nation so that I can substantiate that? It, 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 it means nothing. And that's the thing. Tribalism is considered human nature. And this is why people follow. This is why they're like, follow. And partisanship versus tribalism. Oh my gosh, let's start. There's, there used to be political points um, uh, that all Americans would have. They would be either conservative, moderate, or progressive. In the 20th century, right, in the early 1900s, I would say, or late 1800s, we started to have more of an era of partisanship. So it would be like, you're either Democrat or Republican, and then there's the center, where they're kind of like leaning this way, leaning that way. Now, in this era, we are in the era of tribalism. Parties represent only the extreme point of view. If you win, you must lose. If If, if I win, let's say, then everybody else has to lose. And if, if I compromise, then it's treason to the party. And then you get whiplash at the electoral system. And that's what I sensed yesterday at the rally. The president did not want to endorse some of these people. He didn't even want to utter their name. But then everyone would be like, oh, that's traitor to the GOP. Yeah, fuck the GOP. Fuck the DNC. We don't need any of them. 
We are Americans and at the core, we are free. This is why this began. This is what the idea was that we will not bend the knee to a king, a queen, a pope, a Pharisee, nobody. We will only bend the knee to God. And that will guide us if we all accept each other for what we are and the troubles that we go through. Just like me in the elevator with those two people. They were exalted. They were happy. They they looked, you know, content and beautiful because they were with each other just happy. But then I, I, I was thinking, well, the GOP would want me to make fun of them or I should post pictures of them and, and, and shame this guy for wearing really nice sparkly earrings because he doesn't know what identity he is. Yeah, that's a struggle. Could you imagine not knowing? Could you imagine not fitting in a box when society tells you to fit in a box? And this is how we are politically. You either fit in the box or you don't. There you go. You can't be in the middle. You're not allowed to be for the people. You're not allowed to be in the middle and say, you know, I get their point of view. Right. And that's it. There's people saying, I don't like this. It makes me uncomfortable. This, you know, yeah, it sometimes gets me uncomfortable to see things I don't like. I I have friends that tell me, you know, I just can't stand two men kissing. And it's like, so don't look, but they're doing it in my face. So you suck faces with your man. What if it makes them sick? Cause I don't know, maybe they like your dude. Then maybe you shouldn't do it. It's none of your business. What anybody else does. Nobody gives a shit. It's 2022. What we all need to do is come to the table and say, how do we go forward as a society? We have developed technology that can help us or kill us. So how do we apply it correctly with common sense? And so this takes me back to another conversation and, and, and a thought that I had when I was sitting down at a restaurant. I went to this restaurant called Amba really nice place. I had never been there before in Cleveland. It has like Indian small plates. Oh my gosh, it was so good, the food. Then it was just small plates. And I sat there to eat with Grant. And as I observed everyone there, there were some people that were wearing masks when they got up, others not. And I was like, you know what? thought to myself, none of these people are going to give up their Uber Eats. None of them is going to give up all these comforts. When you have to work, it's like, oh, I don't want to go all the way over there. I don't want to walk there. I don't want to do this, right? None of them will do it for the sake of freedom. They will prefer, they will prefer to lie to themselves and say, it's okay that we killed those people because they were not listening in society. This is a terrifying thought. They would sit there and they would be okay with saying, well, I'm okay with it. My kids will never know because history will be written by us. But if we kill all these people that don't listen to the government and do not obey and stay within the social norms and disrupt our, um, what are they called? Our routine, right? I'll kill them, but my baby will be in a more utopic society. I could see it on every one of their faces. And that should terrify every single one of you. Every single one of you. Because I saw from my listener base, a thousand people dropped off because I was showing the 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 thing from, from the Quran. This is how narrow-minded. 50% of the people stopped listening because they didn't want to. And I see people saying, I don't listen to this. I don't listen to that. I listen to everything. I listen to everything. And that is exactly where we should be. Because for those of you that play Christian and aren't, you need to be and understand, not pretend. You have to understand his words. You must feel his words. There was a, a clip. I'm going to see if I can find it. It was a short. Listen to this. 
And, and I was like, that is, it is indeed the scariest verse in the Bible. And I'm going to share it with you. And I said that too. And I was like, oh my gosh, did I just find a guy that said the same thing that I have? It was fascinating. Here it is. Here is the scariest verse in the entire Bible. Matthew 7, 22. Jesus says, many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out many demons and in your name perform many signs and wonders? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. See, Jesus says that when he returns, that some people who call him Lord and Master will say, Jesus, look at the things we did for you. Look at the signs. Look at the wonders. Look at all the miracles we performed. And Jesus says, but I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. You can't work your way into the kingdom. You need to know me. You need to have intimacy with me. You need to have a relationship with me. Your signs, your wonders, all the great things that you did for my kingdom, they mean nothing unless you know me, unless I have your heart, unless we're in an intimate relationship. Here is the scariest verse in the entire Bible. And that, and that, my friends, is how we keep a nation. By being intimate with our constitution, by being intimate in faith and understanding, this is it. It's all about the way we see things. When I hear people say, well, I don't listen to that. I don't. You should listen to everything. And you should never try to fit in a box. Don't try to define yourself by something you read. Absorb it. Let it percolate. Do not do anything other than let it percolate. It is personal to you. Don't give yourself names. That's what the left does. Let's take a quick break. Because <laughs> names, it's all about names, isn't it? That's the way it is. Tribalism is all about name calling. And Tom McDonald, of course, said it best, right? With his video, names. They gonna try to call you names. Label you with things till you're ashamed. You're a sexist or a racist, white supremacist or gay. They'll attack your reputation, claim that you're the one to blame. And try to make you hate yourself for ways that you behave. They're just names. Embrace them and they'll never cause you pain. They're just words that another person thought up in their brain. They're just names. They do not define you, that's insane. And they'll just call you something different if you change. Call me racist. I don't make no BLM donations. I can stand with black folks without a branded corporation. All this systemic prejudice. If you live in this nation, you privileged, black or Caucasian. Call me transphobic, but I support you in your policies. I just can't ignore the very basics of biology. All I see is men and women trying to live in harmony. Not a hundred genders that you want to be. Call me snowflake, because I'm offended. I ain't stone-faced. Social justice warriors destroying us with woke ways. Mad because they voted for the POTUS with the most hate. Man, I miss the old days. Call me loser, call me bigot, call me stupid, call me bitter, call me ugly, call me cracker, call me doucher, call me trigger. You can call me what you want, cause at the end of the day, man, they're just names. Go ahead and call us names, dog. Do your thing. We ain't tripping cause we heard it all before. Give a damn about the names, dog. We feel no pain. Your words ain't gonna hurt us anymore. Go ahead and call us names, dog. Do your thing. Y'all ain't tripping, but I hope you find the Lord. Give a damn about the names, dog. We feel no shame. Call us everything you want, I'm getting bored. They gon' try to call you names, label you with things till you're ashamed. Repeat it till you really start believing what they say. They gon' stamp it on your forehead and scream it till you break. They love to say they woke, they not awake. 
They're just names, afraid of anyone who ain't the same So they classify your thoughts as controversial, not okay Then they cancel you till everything you have all gets erased They trying to tell the world you bad, they're just names Call me conservative or liberal, Republican or Democrat I'm somewhere in the middle, but y'all don't know what to do with that The system got you so obsessed with classifying right or left You never call a person human, call them names instead Call me sexist, men run the world cause they're aggressive But behind every man there's a woman just as successful We will never be equal in every way that ain't helpful Our differences are why we're great together Call me white devil, I know you think the system favors me My privilege is residual benefits from the slavery Subconscious prejudice embedded in the system made for me Don't mean I never struggled to survive, I guess we ain't agree Ignorant and jaded, call me dumb, uneducated Call me idiot or redneck or delusional or crazy Call me anything society has taught you to say Is that the end? As times move on, people cannot acknowledge majesty or who they actually have in their presence. And that includes God because he is everywhere. There was a story, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, a story about Queen Elizabeth. I don't know if you guys have heard of this story before, but this is a pretty interesting one. And even though that woman was Satan's spawn, I can tell you one thing. This is a pure example. So, you know, being the queen, she still does things. She goes out for hikes and walks or whatever. And she was out in the Highlands in Scotland with her bodyguard, Richard, years ago. I, I think it was when I thought she was 80 for forever. I think it was in the 80s or 90s. And so there were two American hikers out there in the Highlands. And they run into the queen and Richard. They don't recognize the queen because she's not dressed like a fucking queen. She doesn't go out there with her garb and her ground when she's hiking. And so as they walk there, they're like, hey, where are you from? They're like, oh, we live in London, right? And, um, you know, they ask the queen, uh, you know, have you ever met the queen? She goes, um, have you ever had a conversation or spoken with the queen? She's like, well, I, I can't say that I have, you know, because she was the queen. And she's like, but he has. And they were like, oh, my gosh, you have? And um, so the American hikers were like, oh my gosh, can we get a picture? So the queen took a picture of them with Richard so they could tell all their friends in America that they met a guy who talks to the queen every single day. Little did they know that that was, you know, her bodyguard. It's when, you know, they went over there, they were like, yo, that's her bodyguard. And they were like, oh my God, you know, the queen, we met the queen. See, regalness, royalty, regardless, she was in this construct and what titles mankind gave her was royalty. But his highness, our Lord, is one of the biggest. No one will ever be able to see his majesty just like that. They will ask the prophet, oh, do you speak with him? Tell me. Oh, you prophesize? Tell me but they could be speaking to him himself and they wouldn't know because he's so great. He is everywhere. I want you to remember that. And I want you to remember that, that you will not be able to know he is everywhere. You could be speaking, I don't know, to some guy random on the street, to the homeless guy that asked you for a quarter. Is it not him? I think the Bible told you it is. If I am thirsty, will you not give me to drink? Hmm. I didn't have clothes. Did you not clothe me? Remember that, guys. Remember that always. See, if people actually were the word, 
and embodied it, they wouldn't have any problem being challenged on it. And that is the problem. It's like, you know, maybe one day you're walking through the park, right? And Jesus is there and and with, uh, you know, what other figure do you, does everyone, you know, think, oh, Archangel, Archangel Michael. And they're like walking together. Uh, let's say you see a nice couple. How's this? You're in Central Park, nice couple, a dude and a chick, right? And you're like, oh my God. And you see the chick with the dude. And then you ask the chick, hey, do you know God? And well, I mean, figuratively, everybody does. But this guy here, he speaks to him all the time. And then you ask God because you didn't expect it to be a woman. I'm just saying, this is just an example and you're taking a picture of you know the archangel because oh yeah you know he talks to god all the time (laughs) let me take a picture same thing you cannot see majesty in front of you when you are not the word and 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 this goes for all religions because i have listeners that are jews that are muslims that are and muslims means of god servants of god let's remember don't let the language change it Buddhists, they wouldn't be able to see it. Jesus, if he were around today, he would be canceled. Canceled faster than anything. There are people that sit there and speak of God, maybe prophets, maybe false prophets. People shun them away. I mean, the bigger they are and the more people approve them, then they they, they, they say, oh, maybe they're important because everybody else goes to them, so it must be true. This is exactly what the Antichrist happens, which, by the way, both Buddhist scriptures and the Quran talk about working together to take out the Antichrist. Let's just remember that. 2026, we will be handing over this nation to the next generation. And what it is, what is important right now is to understand our weakness in tribalism. The weakness that we have as people. And, and, and I'm going to just stick to our politics. I can tell you what's going on with Turkey and China, but I already told you in 2018. I already told you about the Silk Road. I already told you about the corporation and the railroads and this and how it's going to happen. I already told you. So there's no need to rehash old freaking news. I don't have to tell you about the North American Union because I already fucking told you that. Everyone's now telling you about it. And the question is why? Because they obviously did not know. They did not know. The president told you in the words that you could understand. The president showed you in the actions that you could understand. People should read Matthew 7 very well. Very, very well. There was a conversation that I had with um, now sainted Paisios. And I said, well, the priest said this at one point. And he goes, well, you know, I shouldn't say this of others. But the first person, the line leader, kind of the way he said it, to hell. He's going to be usually a priest. See, these people that tell people how they have to focus, how what they must say, what they must do. Thou shall not kill. Then why would God sacrifice his son? In fact, his son. 
sacrificed himself for the sake of the people because that is how much he loved them. He didn't sacrifice him. He had him here to, 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 to walk in human flesh, to understand mankind, the transgressions against them, their most impure thoughts. And yet here we are writing the next chapter. We got our tax collectors coming, guys. While everyone likes to talk, oh, this is going to be biblical. It's like, do you know what the fuck you're talking about? When I see these accounts tweeting it, do you know what that means? Do you know what biblical means? Do you know what biblical means? It means you are literally the story. Record everything. Watch it unfold. Remember, it was the tax collectors that took everything over the edge, right? Where they would kill you for it. Remember, who were the stars that everyone hated down in the times of the Israelites? It was the tax collectors. Whose tables did Jesus turn? It was the tax collectors. It's changing and it's happening. I say this with, you know, no qualms. I mean, I'm different. Oh, it's the 21st century. We are in the era of tribalism. <laughs> and then what if, well, Tori, you know, you knew this before, but they only know it now. Well, you know, like I said, I'm out of this world. I'm very different and it's just an advantage. And it wasn't me speaking so that everyone can listen to me. Oh, me, me, me. I give, you think I like being around a lot of people or having the spotlight on me? Heck no. It is extremely stressful for me to be in crowds. I get anxiety. I can't help myself, but I'm different. It was for them. It was for those that claim to be for the people to say something. You know, I got some really awesome matches. I I think I posted it on Truth and on um, Telegram, the 250th anniversary. Watch. It's where the chapter ends. Like I said, he's had six years left in 2020. Just because he's not sitting there when I hear people, well, Biden has the power. No, we do. And once we figure that out and we put all these differences aside and we stop mocking things, I mean, we all get petty. I get petty. But then we have to reassess. Just like Reagan said, we the people. We the people. The constitution is to constrain them. The constitution is to put them in check. The constitution is to reflect what we want. And yet we're allowing these people to run rapid. You know, uh, uh, one one, one thing, and it's like a, a bitchy complaint. Okay. Let me be bitchy for a second. There was one person that I saw putting out, she's such this. And I'm like, Hey, Weren't you the little bitch that ran and got knocked off the ballot and you're sitting there with your thumb up your ass now just tweeting and freaking posting shit online? What am I doing? I'm duking it out. And this isn't the first time I duked it out. And I know that the people of Ohio right now, Secretary of State, DeWine, the AG, they're like, damn, they pulled all the stops on her in North Dakota. We can't do that. Look at the way Stenjamin did up. 
because if he is with us, who can be against us? See, when you own that, when you understand it, then nothing can stop you. So when you see all these people picking at our president's feet, the one that stood loud enough for all of us to stand taller, it only takes one leader to stiffen the spines of others. That is exactly what he did. That is exactly what he did. And this is why he's so important. It's not a cult. On a global stage, he stiffened the spines, not of Americans only, but of people worldwide. Worldwide. And yet we have the likes of these demons running around, telling us what to do and demanding that we shut up. I think it's about time we tell them, uh, not on our watch, thanks. I won't have that. But to fix that, we have to focus on the problems we have within our own domain with these people. You know, I'm, I'm actually crafting a little list. Next time I hear someone say something, I'll be like, I'm a grifter. What the fuck are you doing? Let me see. Here's your list. Memes. Here's the shit that I'm doing as myself, not what the people are doing, what I am doing as a Tory. Because you guys, I can, I can pluck one of you randomly from this channel. And you probably have a longer list than any of these check marks, memes, and I retweet shit and I go to meetings where they tell me shit. Yeah. But you sent emails, you sent letters, you freaking filed lawsuits. You did that. You supported people that file lawsuits. You put affidavits in lawsuits. You supported people in your state, me, anybody that was doing something. You've got a longer list than any one of those fuckers. Remember that. And I want you to remember that because this week is going to be crazy. It is going to get really hard and fast. Christmas won't be the same. That's what you need. You need, you need a list for your own shit. Every single email letter support. I supported this person in this lawsuit, supported this person in this effort, did this, did that. Make a list. And next time you see someone come at you and say, join my platform and I can just sit here and opine for you. Be like, fuck you, dude. You should be doing something. I don't need your opining. I get all my shit from the president and all the propaganda and I can weed out what's true and what's false. I can also look at congressional records myself. I don't need you to show me. I can also do this. I can also do that. And I meet with my groups in my city, my county, in my state, and we get together and we fix this. I don't need your memes. Thanks. I'll pass. Hey, GOP, I don't need your emails. You need to stop spamming me. Fuck you. This is how we need to start doing it. This is how we need to start doing. You make a little card, you know, you put it on word, you snapshot it, and then you're like, your accomplishment is getting a check mark and fucking memes. Done. You're not doing anything. You're not informing the public. You're not giving information. Oh, look, Fiona Hill. Wait till that comes. (laughs) Because (laughs) State Department, right? (laughs) Oh, you mean the deep state department. You guys can see it yourself. You don't need someone to point it out for you. Everything that is happening now, I've already put through a show in 2018, 2019, and even 2020. I told you they were stealing the elections. I told you how the vaccines were coming. I told you how they're going to be doing it right now. There. Uh, see, what I'm doing right now is pulling the rug out from under them, and you're going to see what I mean later. It's not too far gone, so I'm not going to speak it because you don't need to tell them. But this is the talk we needed to have. We needed to have this difficult conversation. And like I said, watching just on Rumble, a thousand people drop, boom. I don't know if it was because they cut the feed or whatever. I don't care. Bottom line is a thousand did because they can focus. 
they can't focus. It kills their mind to be programmed one way and to listen and say, oh my God, this is making sense. I can't. That's cognitive dissonance. It's like when I sat across, you know, from my little sister and she was like, Hunter Biden's laptop is fake news. And I'm like, I pointed to my bag and I was like, should I take it out? And then the face was there. And it's like, what do you do in that position? You got to stop. You can't. Right. And, and people go through it all the time. And like I said, the rally, it was the first time I sat there as a person, not as press, not as anything. And I tried to bring you guys in by showing you everything and, and, and streaming and letting you see it firsthand. Like you were there. It was, it was, I, I was praying for the president. I felt so, I felt his anger and I could hear it when he started with the JD Vance thing. I could hear it. And I was like, dude, we are with you. You don't even need these people. The GOP, chuck them, chuck them, chuck them all. Nobody wants them. Nobody. And you know, I'm going to tell you a conversation that I had. So I left security and went outside to have a cigarette. So they took everybody's lighters. We couldn't take them in there. So I sat out there at one point um, while Ivan Reeklin was hanging out with the DHS guy talking. And I was like, yo, I'm going for a cigarette. So I went out there, had a cigarette, and there were a bunch of people. And and there was LaRose people smoking there, two volunteers. One of them actually worked on Trump's campaign, which is disgusting to see like how slimy they are. My gosh. Anyway. And um, so as I was there, I was like, you know, LaRose is so thirsty. I said it. <laughs> Pretty plain and simple. I knew they were there. LaRose is so thirsty here. You know, campaigning with J.D. Vance, begging for an endorsement when he said that Trump has to agree to the fact that he lost. The fact that he deployed Alec. The fact that the 2020 elections were all stolen because of shit he spearheaded. Right? So weird that he's here. And they were like, nobody wants LaRose, but what the fuck are we going to do? We have nobody else. I was like, don't worry. I'll be on the ballot. That's the thing. How's the president going to be like, I'm not saying anything, right? Because it's either that where it's a base that might hold them accountable rather than the Democrats where you have no freaking say, right? And they just run with it. I would totally have a rhino rather than a Democrat because I know the rhinos have people like me underneath them that will be pulling their pants down and tugging at them, right? So that's the way it is. That's the way it is. So I want you guys to remember that, 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 that when President Trump endorses someone, just in general, like Oz, maybe that's a better one than another one. And you have to think of it like that. And I know, no, no, no. Well, don't endorse anyone. Then what? Uh, then the people that are still brainwashed, that, 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 that just drink the Kool-Aid of the GOP, vote for the left or leave it open. That's a vote for the left. That's the way it is. You can't not say, take the rhino over the Democrat. I'd prefer a rhino over a Democrat any day because I know that there's people like you and me that are going to hold them accountable. You have no say on the left. You have absolutely no say. And then there's people that are like, well, maybe Trump should call it out. How? How? There are so many people out there that identify as conservative. They're exactly that. They're the Bible thumpers that will turn it off if they don't like it. They're the ones that'll just sit there and, and, and mock someone for being gender confused. They will sit there and mock them for, for screaming in agony. You know, it drives me insane when I see these demons screaming for abortion, right? But I can tell you that probably 90% of them are screaming because they've done it and that's guilt, right? So that's them trying to make their guilt be socially acceptable because they have companies that are backing that. And that's the way it is. 
there's a fascinating psychology behind um, cancel culture. There was a CBS airing, and we're going to see this. This is a very important conversation. I hope my archivist can split this episode into two. Been seeing a growing debate over cancel culture. culture. In a recent article titled Head Cases, The Psychology Behind the Cancel Culture Debate, Politico editor-in-chief John Harris explains why a recent attempt by a number of liberal intellectuals to cancel cancel culture may have missed its mark. Do you follow that? John Harris joins me now. Uh, John, thank you so much. You know, it's really intriguing to think about this. Um, You focus a lot, first of all, on the letter in Harper's signed by more than 150 writers and academics. Can you explain, first of all, the psychology behind this, including why you believe it's a fight or flight moment for intellectuals? I think this hits home for a lot of uh, people uh, who are who are writers, who are journalists, who are academics, uh, because they can, to some degree, imagine themselves uh, saying the wrong thing and uh, uh, getting canceled either with a storm on social media or, in the worst case, their employers uh, saying that uh, uh, they're letting them go. This has happened in a couple of cases uh, because uh, people said controversial things. So the group of people who signed this letter, they're uh, very, very well-known writers, people like Salman Rushdie, uh, a number of uh, prominent columnists. Uh, so these were big voices, and, and they said what we need is to restore a liberal spirit, the uh, competition of ideas and arguments. Uh, but, of course, the very thing they were warning about did rain down on them as uh, a lot of people uh, on the left, and particularly on social media, uh, said that they themselves represented a kind of uh, establishment privilege. Hmm. Well, you said that you were not asked to sign the open letter, but if you had been, what would have been your reaction? You know, I would have been uh, certainly in agreement with the sentiments uh, in that letter. I do think that we need to keep an open uh, debate. I think we can really vigorously disagree. uh, But the idea of sort of uh, casting people outside the bounds of uh, discussion uh, or subjecting them to kind of vicious mockery, I I think that's not a good thing uh, for uh, democracy. Uh, I think I would have, um, uh, even as I was sympathetic with the letter, I I would have recognized that they were in some ways leading with their chin, that they were saying some things that uh, in some ways made them look kind of brittle and uh, overly sensitive. The very thing they accuse uh, uh, oftentimes many younger uh, uh, activists of being. So I probably wouldn't have signed even though I was sympathetic to it. Well, let's talk about the rebuttal called a more specific letter on justice and open debate. Now, it argues the Harper's letter is a, quote, caustic reaction to a diversifying industry, one that's starting to challenge institutional norms that have protected bigotry. Do you believe, John, some real change can come from so-called cancel culture? Uh, In general, I don't think people should be canceled. I think they should be rebutted. If somebody says something that you really disagree with or you think is is, uh, uh, wrong-headed, by all means, criticize. I don't really like the idea of people uh, sort of being uh, rejected or or, or subject to mockery. Some ideas are maybe are so... so rooted in prejudice that we really do want to uh, draw lines against them. I don't think that's what those letter uh, writers and Harper's were saying. They were talking about people honestly trying to illuminate the big issues. And uh, it's one thing to rebut. It's another thing to uh, uh, to uh, mock or to urge that uh, people be fired or uh, uh, simply thrown out, uh, out of the ring, if you will. Um, 
so you know john yeah, i'm just yeah, curious yeah. um sorry to interrupt but i wonder if you think this has sort of seeped out to the broader consciousness beyond just journalists and academics and sort of you know, the, the Twitter verse, uh, we've heard, for instance, President Trump bring up this idea of cancel culture. And I wonder how much you think it might be seeping into a broader discussion as a society that we're having, especially, you know, at a time when we're all stuck in our houses, we're all basically consuming information in such different ways than maybe we would have before. You know, we talk about the psychology of this debate, and I think you put your finger on something that's important. We are all at home. We are all living our, our lives, uh, including our public lives, uh, on uh, computers and on our iPhones, on social media. And whenever you have that distance and you're talking to people, uh, um, not uh, face to face, they become abstractions. And I think the debate gets a little more sour and it's easy to have contempt uh, for somebody rather than try to understand them. Uh, I wonder, uh, is it really seeping far out? You know, the, the, this is the kind of thing that the reporters and uh, academics like to, like to argue about how much influence it has for the average person uh, who's uh, worried about his or her future and the pandemic and the economy. Um, I guess I've got my doubt. All right. Well, John Harris, thank you so much. A really intriguing piece. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. And see, even the left has decided that it's gone too far. I want you to take a little trip down, you know, this tribalism that we have because we have a very big problem with tribalism. And this is why I'm not even focusing on the matters at hand because there are a lot of people out there, good people, really working hard. I want to tell you how this era of extreme tribalism that we're working on, uh, working through is happening. If you win, if, 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 if the Republicans win, then the Democrats must lose. There is no center. There's like a huge gap. You can't be a centrist, right? You either have to be for or against done. And if you compromise on anything, then you're a traitor. And it's more important to be with the party than your country. Politics is about being in power and obstructing and attacking anything the other party wants to get done. And that's the problem that we're having. And in an election, the winner takes everything. Right now, it's all about which party is going to win. Fuck your parties. I'm not a party. I'm a human being, right? And I have thoughts and ideas and I have wants and needs and I have my goal, my purpose that you are seeking to direct that I do not want. That's the way it is. Think, let's look back to, you know, this tribalism, Social Security Act, 287 Democrats helped pass it. 77 Republicans helped, right? They had power. Social Security amendments, 237 Democrats helped pass it. 70 Republicans helped. 68 of them said no. Voting Rights Act, 218 Democrats, 110 Republicans. They didn't like the verbiage because if you pay attention, well, we'll get to that at another time with the Voting Rights Act. Environmental policy, the EPA, 208 Democrats, 164 Republicans. That was probably the only bipartisan act passed. In the Senate, it was unanimous, both Republicans and Democrats, for the EPA. That, 1969, holy shit, when was the internet? 1231-69, oh shit. 
We'll get to that another time too. Everything that we have is partisan. The American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009, 246 Democrats, zero Republicans, but it still passed. Dodd-Frank, 234 Democrats, three Republicans. Do you see how it goes? It's just tribalism. It's the Cleveland Browns versus the New York Giants or the Pittsburgh Steelers. (laughs) That's what it is. It's tribalism. And if you're in the middle, you're a Democrat. If you're in the middle and you don't like what they say, we're going to beat them. It's going to be a red wave. Fuck your waves. We need truth. We need transparency. We need paper ballots that we can't hack. Both people on both sides of the fence, no matter what their party say, will say yes to that. We need better laws with our secretary. I'm telling you, a secretary of state, I would totally change the recall laws. I would make it easier for people to pull them down. And you know what I would call it? The Gonzalez Act. I would actually lobby it and I would make it a regulation within the secretary of state. How do you recall people? And then I'd push for the legislation as secretary of state to be able to recall these fuckers because he took everybody's money. Everybody donated to him. Everybody put him in office. Everybody voted for him. And two days later, the minute after he swore in, he impeach. We can't even get them out because of the way the legislation has happened that they're ironclad. The law was created to prevent us from actually exercising our rights. This is the problem we have. This is the problem we have. Whistleblowers, not protected. Everything's monitored by the agency. They will know that you're going to blow the whistle before you're, you even do it. They'll know because eh, you thought of it, they'll know. Predictive analytics, right? You know, they'll already know if you're going to be a whistleblower. Are you strong in faith? You don't, you, you don't get a job. You got to be twisted and psychotic in order to get a job in the FBI now. You can't do this. We need accountability and we don't have it. Why? Tribalism. And, and, and let's dumb it down. Let's take it away from religion, away from politics. And let's look at the discourse within people. Look at how we are online. Huh? It's like you're either in the crowd or you're not. And, and then when people are like the Democrats are, you're worse. When I hear people say, I'm a patriot. No, you're fucking not. If someone calls you out because you look like an idiot or you're saying things that don't line up with your beliefs. I'm a proud Christian, but I'm going to crush the skulls of my enemy. Totally not Christian. Sorry. Next. And people don't like that. People don't like that. They don't. But it's true. I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat it. You say something. Hey, you know, these These Jews did this. Does that mean all the Jews? No. But immediately when you say it, you're anti-Semitic. But but when you call out bad Muslims, you know, the radicalized ones, the ones that have been politicized, right? Because they're not all bad. Their Quran is not all bad. Just like the Bible, that shit was edited. You need to look back in the archives of the Vatican. They even tell you that they remove books. You think they didn't do that to the Quran? Get out of here. What do you, where do you live under a rock? Everything is parsed. Look at our discourse. Look at our discourse. I had some guy, that ghost, that guy that did like those death threats against me, totally saw that it was his account, changed his name. Thanks, Telegram. RSA is not covered. You can see it all. You could see it all. You work on RSA. I'm on quantum. There you go. Now explain to me how I knew. You know, he pissed his pants, dinosaurs. All of them, because they all go by a book. And then they're like, that's a black pill. No, it's not. It's an American pill. 
The American pill is we should stay away from parties. We don't need influencers. Influence operations require influencers. That is exactly what they are doing. Why do you need an influencer? Why do you need to tell to have someone tell you how to think, how to vote, go straight ticket? You got to do this. Oh, you can't do that because then that's a vote for a Democrat. And it's like, well, then where's a third person? Oh, they're too busy making fucking memes and telling you how everyone's a grifter. What does grifter mean? You're doing nothing. I could just put out a little card. Next time I see someone call me a grifter, I'm going to put all their accomplishments next to mine. Theirs will be maybe two, right? On, on the good side, right? Then I'll put all the negative shit. Part of an influence operation, influencer, selling vitamins, doing this shit. There, there's how you show the difference. Make a list, write it out. You can write your own card. I know most of you are going to have a long list of shit you done. And then next time someone says, Follow this account. Be like, okay, can you show me their list of achievements? What have they done for our country? That's how you should respond. Show me. Show me what they've done for our country. Because when someone comes to talk shit to me, I'm like, please step away. (laughs) You're a nobody. You are a nobody simply anointed to be part of a clique. You are not helping the country. You are helping drive and fuel tribalism. And this is why you don't like me because I'm telling the world you're doing it. And don't worry, the people are going to know this. I mean, look, when we had President Clinton, he had a Democratic House and a Senate from 1993 to 1994. Then, then one of the most earliest tribalists, Newt Greengrit, came in and he flipped the house in 1994. You know, the guy that went to uh, Bohemian Grove and stuff. Then George Bush had a Republican House and Senate for two of his eight years. And then after that, there was gridlock. Barack Obama had two years of Democratic control from 2009 to 2010 before the Tea Party backlash hit him in the 2010 midterms, losing the House. Donald Trump, President Donald J. Trump had two years of Republican control in 2017 and 2018. (laughs) And much of that was badly spent because I think he realized really quick that it was the Republicans that were helping Obama. That's the thing. It's all about power and control. So the state of our nation right now is in a state of tribalism. And what we need to do is start mending those gaps. We need to start having very serious conversations with people that are telling us that we must go one way and not another. We need to reduce the radicalized speech. You know, I was really, you know, people were like, yeah, DeSantis sent them to Martha's Vineyard and everyone's having a crack at it. And I'm like, dude, they're sending undocumented people to New York City. How many of the, let's say they send a hundred women and children. How many of them are dead now? How many of them are holed up in a house being raped by 10 men because they can't say shit? Because they have no job, no money, and they were just dropped off with a bus. What about Martha's Vineyard with all them? Did they have any hunting parties? Sounds like trafficking to me. That's a big problem for me. See, this this was a what? A stunt to get everybody watching? To get the rich people in, in Martha's Vineyard to not want them? To drop them off within their backyard? That's how you see humans? They should be focusing on New Mexico, where they've got the Afghanis coming in for retaliation right now. That's about to pop off in November. (laughs) And one of their lead prosecutors is an asset, double agent for both the U.S. and Afghanistan. A Fed, want to call it, double Fed, whatever, trained in the State Department. I mean, 
how does a guy that migrates from Afghanistan just turn up and he speaks Chinese, Russian, Pashto, freaking English, Eastern Arabic, all that shit. And he's just a prosecutor worked with the United Nations, worked with this. And he's sitting there as a public defender. Get the fuck out of here. Paying attention. See, even our agencies can't pay attention because they're so everywhere. New Mexico really needs to be focusing in Santa Fe on their assets there because that's about to pop off. I hope people are listening. That's about to pop off. It's not going to be pretty because like the president said yesterday in his rally, it's not the Hondurans and the Guatemalans that are coming through the border. It's people that are here for blood retribution that have been weaponized in other countries. This is where it's coming. And then we have hypocrites that are sitting there playing the red card. Look at me. I'm all about America. I'm going to drop these off in New York City. Why? They're probably dead. You probably sent a hundred and maybe 60 are alive. Where are the women and children? Where's the, what is going on here? And why did you allow them to enter your state? You could have border patrol saying, no, thank you. That's all you have to do. There could be border patrol lining up around Texas saying, we are not taking any migrants. This bus is not going through. We're checking cards. Thanks. That's how you stop it. And then you put the heat on Abbott. Abbott, what are you doing? No flying planes with immigrants. That's human trafficking. I agree. This is where we should all be. This is where we should all be standing on. That wall was so necessary, not just for terrorists coming into our country, but for the diseases that are that they're bringing. It only takes one vial to pop, one broken vial somewhere to pop, and suddenly we're locked down. See, these are the things that we should be concerned about. There should be other strategies. We can't get through TSA easy. How are we getting migrants? Oh, because the governor said so? I don't give a shit. TSA, you're a federal agency. You should say no. Did they all come into you, Abbott, in Texas? Well, you know, all the bordering states should have border patrol saying you're not allowed to go through. They should actually put Texas on notice saying, don't send me any of your migrants. But, but I don't give a shit. No migrants. If all the states said, I'm not taking your migrants, then something would have to happen. Texas would have to have to step up and say, nope, we're building the wall right now. And the other states would participate. I think as Ohio would contribute to it. Florida should contribute to it. We're all talking about money. Well, where the fuck are your governors? Where are all your red governors to say, you know what? Since Biden's not building the wall, we will. The state of Texas has autonomy. Texas could be like, yo, hey, give me some money. Let's build the wall. Hey, give me some money. Let's let's build a wall. Where are all your governors in the surrounding states to support? They're just sitting there with their thumbs up their ass. There are solutions. People just don't want to put them out because they want to keep you divided. Divided. That's how easy we fall. And that's the thing. They're not solving any problems. They're just doing it to make themselves look important. Just like with the elections, they were just going to hold on to the criminal record ones. He wasn't holding on to election data. And they're upset. They're upset with what we've done, the retention letters. They're upset with the lawsuits. Yeah, they should be. Because none of you are providing solutions. I've got 10. I can rip them out right now. First one. Hey, Texas, Abbott should say, I'm declaring an emergency in Texas and I'm demanding the bordering states to either help me build a wall or the, the migrants are coming to your state and then you need to deal with them. I'm not going to control them. Done. I'll route them out to the nearest border. Help me. Give me money. Let me build this wall. Let's work together as independent states to secure our national border since the Biden administration won't. That is pie in the face for the Biden administration. That's number one.
Another one he could do is actually line up all of the Texas National Guard and say no one is passing through. I'm sorry, you're barred. You're not coming, barred. You're not coming, barred. And that's not just that. We have Arizona. We have New Mexico. We've got other borders too. Where are they? We're all talking high and mighty. Where are the freaking solutions? Where are the solutions? What about the northern border with all these people coming in? No one's talking about that. From Washington, North Dakota, Montana. Come on. New York, Maine. They're all coming in from Canada. Where are they? Where's the border patrol there? How are they coming in and out? Oh, we shouldn't talk about that either. See, there's a ton of solutions. Nobody wants to do it. They want to sit there and wave like debutantes and tell you how amazing they are and how the GOP is going to have a red wave rather than give you actual solutions. That's the problem we have. Or they just want to make some nice memes and make fun of people, right? Oh, look, Martha's Vineyard, you have two houses. Why don't you give it up to the migrants? Great question. Great on the spot stuff. I agree. I'm game. But this is a war like none other. This is a war beyond your ability to conceive. This is otherworldly, otherworldly. And tribalism is the last thing we need right now. Tribalists break the rules to get what they want. The left and the right are breaking all the rules. And unfortunately, they set the rules of the House and the Senate. So the party leadership controls the damn agenda. They eliminate every single voice of any minority party. Half and even more than half of the population has actual no representation in Congress, right? And on top of that, they gerrymander all this crap on the state and congressional legislative districts. Like it's so bad to stack any election in their favor. Both parties suck. Democracy, whatever. Republic, whatever. It's all broken bones. It's ashes. They've torched it all down. So the only way that we can do this is by getting untraditional, non-traditional, non-usual, non-conforming people in office. That is exactly what we need. We don't need parties. We don't need people that toe the line. And we need people that are able to make mistakes, come up with solutions, and have conversations that really trigger a lot of people. Because if we don't do that, there is no nation. This experiment has failed. And we're supposed to be closing this chapter of the book by 2026. So we got to get cracking. We need to crack the whip and get to work. So remember, all they want to do is cancel, not voices they don't like. They're canceling your voice. It's all about canceling the people. That's their bottom line. That's their end game, canceling the people. And you know how they do that? By telling you what to think. God told us what to think. Love. That's it. Have love. So much love in your heart. Don't try to fit in a box. Don't try to identify with something you read. Don't say, oh, I know this. Oh, I read this story, or I read this chapter, or I read the Quran, or I read the Torah, or I read the Bible. And it says, ask yourself, pray, have faith, have faith. Faith is like the biggest weapon and the only one that they can't control because they can't be in your heart because you can't cancel the truth no matter how hard you try. I can't be canceled, there's no way that you can stop me. Fully independent, there's no label who can drop me. Y'all been starting rumors, let me help you with some. Yeah. He's a racist, he's a sexist, he's in love with Donald Trump. Y'all can't cancel me, my life is scandal free. There ain't no sponsors taking losses cause the brand is me. My hands are clean, my 
family and my fans agree. Y'all can't cancel me for facts because you're mad and weak. Go ahead and tell the world I'm ugly and racist. I braid my hair and I don't care about cultural appropriation. I moved to the ghetto, lived in the ghetto, there's no Caucasians. And still I loved every single one of my neighbors. How's a man say I'm clickbait? If he gonna use this face to get clicks on his page, y'all hypocrites are made. But I ain't tripping about these bullies, it ain't sixth grade. Go ahead and diss me trying to sell a couple mixtapes. Okay.